supernatural prophets from the word of God. And the text we've just looked at tells us that the word is what? Profitable. The word is profitable. So as we begin these thoughts tonight, I want you to ask yourself some questions. When you read the word and when you study the scripture, do you really profit from it? Or do you or do you accept what is given as measures of profit and you think that is what the word of God wants to do in your life? If you truly profit from the word, then do you understand what it means when we say that the word as we come to it is profitable? Oftentimes when people read the word, people read the word for various reasons. Sometimes people read the word because all they want is healing from the word. Or maybe they want prosperity from the word. In fact, some people read the word because it is their duty to read the word because they are leaders in their church and therefore they have to give the word. Some people read the word to prove that they understand doctrines better than others. Others read the word because they feel that their denomination is better and they need to prove that their denomination is better than other denominations or their religion is better. Some read it because they want to show that they are intellectually superior. But the Bible says that the word of God is profitable for certain things that God himself has defined. The first thing he says there is that it is profitable for what? For doctrine. I want you to underline that word in your scripture. It is profitable for doctrines. Other people read the Bible because they are prideful about their knowledge of the scripture. So when we talk about reading the scripture or studying the scripture, what is your motive? So each time you pick the word of God up in the morning, in the evening, at noonday, what exactly is your motive? What is it that is pushing you to come before this word so that you can get something out of it? Well, let's look at a few thoughts. The first thing that we see in that scripture is that it says the word is given by what? Inspiration of God. What do we understand by this word inspiration? Any thoughts? Inspiration. What do we understand by inspiration of God? Thoughts of God. Thoughts of God. Mm. Inspiration. Look at the word inspiration. What does the word inspiration mean? To inspire. What does the word inspire mean? Light. No. The word inspire, what does it mean? To to do something. Inspired. I was inspired to read. So quickened or stimulated. Okay. Inspired to 
uh, it's like this kind of like to what's the word English that is a good word English that's what I'm asking <laughs> what does the word inspire mean just simple to motivate to no inspire, to stimulate inspire. to feel no to feel something according to 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 feel something to feel something so think in terms of what you do every day you inspire you expire in and out inspire expire let me give an example if i have a balloon here now you know what a balloon yeah. is flat on its own that's right there is it's not a balloon in the real sense it's just a little piece of rubber until i exhale here into it and blow into it once i blow into it it is filled up with air we all agree that yes, and if i tie it up as long as that air is inside of it it is a balloon mm. if i remove the string the air will escape what is keeping that balloon floating when it is filled up it is the air. The it is the inspiration from me, the person that blows into it. Where did that air come from? From within me. Therefore, for that balloon to continue to stay up, it must retain a part of me that I blowed into it. As long as it retains that part of me, it will continue to float. It will continue to be a balloon. Well, isn't that what God did in Genesis? When he finished making man, the Bible says that he did what? He breathed. He breathed the breath of life on man. Leave him, let him stand. Leave him, let him stand. He breathed the breath of life on man. And by breathing on man, straight away, what happened? Man became a living soul. Are you hearing me? And from that point on, every man has the breath of God. There is an inspiration in man. It is the breath of God. It is the spirit of God that is in you that is sustaining you. When that breath expires, we say the person is what? Kafush, he's dead. That is why God is the father of all living things. He breathed in man and the air, the breath, the spirit in man is what is sustaining the man. The spirit of a man will do what? Will sustain his infirmities. So it is that inspiration. Now I want you to hear what I'm saying with respect to this scripture now. The scripture says the word of God is given by inspiration of what? Of God. And it is profitable. I want you to hear this. If the word of God is given by inspiration of God, 
It means that every word of God has the, the DNA of God, the power of God, the ability of God inside that word. And because it is inside that word, it sustains that word forever. Now here is the dilemma. If the power of God, the inspiration of God is in the word and it sustains the word of God. And it is true that word, that same word that God created all things. And by his spirit, by his sustaining power, he still sustains all things by his word. It means that each one of us who say we are a believer, we have the greatest power available with us every day, every moment through this Bible that you hold. I'll say that again. The greatest power is available to you through this word that is in your hand your Bible because it carries the DNA of God it carries the inspiration of God it carries the power of God it carries the energy of God it carries divine potentials and if it carries it it sustains it and God has evidenced it to you in creation and in sustaining the whole of creation. So he says that the word of God is what? Sustained through that inspiration of God. So here is the thing. If you read the word as if it's just an ordinary letter or word that is written in a book, you don't get the power. It is like having a balloon that has now been deflated. The balloon will continue to float as long as my DNA, my air, my breath is inside the balloon. So really, when we look at the balloon, we say that Peter is sustaining the balloon because Peter breathed into the balloon. But you see, we don't say that, do we? We just say we blow into the air and the balloon is floating. Mm -hmm. But in actual fact, it is you that is making the balloon float. It is a part of you that is in the balloon that is making it float. The balloon recognizes that because the minute you are taken out of the balloon, the balloon collapses. So there is power in the word of God. And if you don't come to the Bible with that knowledge, with that insight that there is power in this book in your hand, that this book is not like any other book on the face of the earth, that this book is different because it carries God and is sustained by the power of God and that no nuclear power, no electric power, no military power can contain or withstand the power that is with you every day through the Bible. 
until that understanding is quickened to you, you can be reading and studying and not profiting. You can be reading, but the word becomes powerless because you do not recognize the inspiration. The Greek word for that word inspiration is teonumenu. How do you pronounce it now? Teo. Let me spell it. T h e o s p n e u t o i s. Right now is composed of two words. The first part, Theos, speaks of God, which you all know. Theo, God. New tosis, yes, I think that's a better word. New tosis, right? Is from the word pneuma. New tosis is from the word pneuma, which means spirit. So God's spirit, God's breath, God's essence is in his word. In the beginning is the word, the word was with God, the word is God. The essence of God. God does nothing without the instrumentality of his word and his spirit. So when he says forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, is talking about the power of God to endure forever, to sustain forever, to keep forever. So if I don't come to the written word, if I don't come to this scripture knowing that the power of God is in it, I can be reading a healing text, but the power for that healing will not be revealed to me. I can be reading a prosperity text, and the power to prosper will not be revealed to me because I'm not expecting the power to work for me. I'm reading it because my denomination says I should read it. I'm reading it and quoting it because that's what we do in our church because we are winners or we are, um, I don't know, fetters or we are whatever you want to call yourself. We are covenanters. But in real fact, to me personally, the revelation of the power has not been given. Jesus said it this way, or Isaiah said it first. He says, they read, but they do not understand. Therefore, they are not converted. To be converted simply means that when you are sure that this is the right thing, you change your mind. You, you, you blend with that truth. You become one with the truth. You move from where you are into something new. So the word of God consists of God and his spirit. That inspiration of God is what the scripture tells us is profitable. Now remember, we're asking the question, do you profit from studying the word of God? Now this word profit means a few things. It's first of all from the original word. The word profit simply means, let me ask, what do we mean when we say something is profitable? Gain. It brings an increase. It brings an increase. I like that. Gain. It's gain. Yes, it's a gain. What else? 
profitable. Does you good? Does you good? I like that. Does you good? What else? Comes with a benefit. I like that word. Comes with a benefit. It's beneficial. Right? It is beneficial. What other word? When Paul says, um, bring John Mark, is profitable to me for the ministry. Is useful. Right? Is useful. So you said all the key things that the word profitable really means. It means that it is something that is to your advantage. It is something that is helpful. It is something that is beneficial. It is something that is useful. So the scripture says, the power of God, when it is at work on the word of God, and I tap into it, it's useful to me, it's profitable to me, is beneficial to me is for my advantage if we stop there and we have that understanding that each time i take this word in any situation and in any circumstances and i understand that it is profitable and i approach it as something that is profitable to me i'm not approaching the word because it is my duty as a believer or as a christian are you hearing me yes you know, we, many times we come to the scriptures. In fact, many times we come to the place of prayer because let me just go into the presence so that about God who said I didn't turn up this morning. Right? To mark register. To mark, thank you. I'm marking attendance today so that when they open the book, the angel opens the book, they see that I attended prayer today or they see that I attended church activity today and Therefore, our measures of spirituality has always been by these activities without understanding the realities of the activities. Do, do you understand what I mean by that? That you can do an activity without understanding the reality of the activity or the purpose of the activity. And so that activity just comes from a sense of duty, not from an understanding of purpose. Let me say that again. It comes from a sense of duty, not from an understanding of purpose. But if I understand the purpose that it is supposed to profit me, it is supposed to be beneficial to me, it is supposed to be useful to me, it is supposed to help me. Then I will come to it joyfully. I will come to it with expectations. When I come to it, see, let me, let me put it within the context of what we do in the world. When you are doing something that is profitable, you don't fall asleep. Mm -mm. If they say to you now, excuse me, if you can stand up for the next one hour in this position and not move, we'll give you 20,000 pounds. Come and see believers. Come and see human beings. Everybody will become a military soldier of the highest order. You will stand so still, people will think you are a statue. Right? Why? Because that standing is profitable to you. Mm. All you can see when you are standing is what? 20,000 20, pounds. In one hour, your head will be buzzing while you are standing. You'll be calculating all the things you will do with that 20,000. That 20,000 becomes the power that keeps you standing. Mm. 
Are you getting this? The word becomes profitable, is benefits. So when you know that the word has benefits and he has usefulness, it changes your relationship with the word of God. Completely changes your relationship with God's word. And until we recognize that, we can become so religious that we will read just a portion because it is our religious diet, but not because I recognize the power that is in the word and the profit that is in the word. So, my question now to you is this. If I understand what profitable is, how then do I know when I am profiting from the word? How do you know when you are profiting from God's word? I want some answers. So we start to see the fruits. When what? We start to see the fruits. Ah, okay. So if you are reading now, you start seeing the fruits. No, no. When said? When do you know that it's profitable? When do you know that when you are reading or studying, or studying. the scripture, it is profitable to you? Mm. Let me say the way it's come to my yes. mind. Yes. It's when. Don't eat. I was, I think, it's when God gives you a word and you can see the working out of that word in the events going on in your life. Maybe you can point at things to say, you know, God spoke about this and this has come to pass because God spoke about it. That's when, when you read it. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about... How my perception of the question he asked. So okay, so say that again so that I understand. I was I see hmm. profiting by the word of God, which anyway that's for another day. <laughs> <laughs> Let that's okay for me. I'm thinking. Sorry, I'm thinking a lot. It's God. The boundary for me is when you read it. Mm. When you read or when you study the word, mm. how do you know you are profiting? I think you sort of mentioned it in the just a minute ago when you said something about to be converted means when you are sure of what you're reading. So when you know you're profiting is when there's there's a conviction, when there's when there's a conversion. Okay. When, when I like that a, word conviction. conviction. I was going to say clarity. Clarity and I thought you said revelation. Uh, yeah, I, I thought you said conviction. Yes. yes. Yeah. And something yeah. can be clear to you mm. and you don't have a conviction. Yeah, because mm. this thing is personal. I I like the question and I just want us to make it Personal, personal right. not out there, generic. just the way we, if you are reading your the word, how will you, That's Gabriel, right. perceive that the word is profiting you? How That's will right. I, Shade? It's an individual thing, the way I look at it. You can then cast your own light on it so that we get it in how, how it should be. Okay. So, I hear what you have said. Yes, any more contribution? You said conviction. Conviction, okay. yeah. 
Yeah, for me, uh, sometimes it's, it jumps out on me, and I thought, wow. The word jumps out. No, what I mean is, no, what I'm understanding. just understanding is like, okay. okay, and I receive it, and when I said the fruits, for me, that, that is when I actually then make connection with the word and said, if this is going to, is working from now on, this is what I'm supposed to be seeing. Okay. What's that? Okay. Yes? So, once you start seeing it work, you know that's fruit for you. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, when, when, when I'm reading the word, like Sister Shede said, mm. and when I say it jumps, like revelation, mm. wow, this is what this means. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to me now. And, and then I'll look back into what I have not been doing, that this is now explaining to me. Okay. And then I then kind of maybe pray or whatever, and know that this is now how I should be working because of what I have just received of this. Thank you for that. English. I think it's, it's I'm probably explaining the same thing she said. But in, in this light, that the what the understanding that I get from the word proves what I don't do right. Proves what I ought to be doing, and which could be likened also to conviction that we said earlier. Okay. Okay. Nobody has. Gabriel. Sorry, him. I don't know where this shit is. Ah. Are you struggling to find the biscuit? Have you seen what? What's that? Ah. Uh, what is biscuit? Yes, biscuit, man. I was just trying to get water. Okay. Are we okay? Yes, sir. Okay. So, Sister Shadi says something that each one of us have individual perception of how we feel the word is profitable. Correct? Okay. So let's now look at how the scripture wants the word to be profitable to us. How the scripture wants the word to be profitable to us. First of all, let's begin from the fact that the word that is coming, the word is holy. The word is holy. And what do I mean by that? Although we are born again, we are now on the way to heaven. And yet, Jeremiah tells us that the heart of man is desperately wicked. Paul tells us that the motions of sins are still in our members. So although we may be morally impeccable, People can see outwardly that we keep the law. That we are good, upstanding citizens in the church community. And yet, 
there might be corruptions and sins in the inward parts. So for example, let me use practical examples so that I think such as he wants us to use practical examples. <laughs> Most people will not tell a lie over 10 pounds. Most Christians, we think, average number, over 100 pounds, maybe, maybe 10%. But if somebody comes to them and say, look, it's only a white lie now. 25,000 pounds. Suddenly the dynamics change. Yes? And you tell the lie. My question. When it was 10 pounds, you didn't lie. When it was 100 pounds, you didn't lie. When it was 1,000, you didn't lie. But when it was 25,000, you lied. Where did the lie come from? It's always been, it's always been there. But the threshold for it to come, <laughs> right? Now, the reality is, it has always been there, it means that each one of us still have the stains, the corruptions, the potential to sin. So the Apostle John says, if we say we do not sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. Because he understands what we say in doctrine, because the first word in 2 Timothy 3 is that it is profitable for doctrine. It understands doctrines of God. And one of the first doctrines is the total depravity of man. That each one of us, there is a measure of depravity in us. Listen, in me dwelleth no good thing. In you dwelleth no good thing. Thing. If you don't understand that, you will not understand conviction. If you think that now that you are a believer, you are now good, you are a liar. Even Jesus said, why callest me good? There is no good except God. So when you approach the word, approach the word with the heart that's there is still a lot of imperfections in you so that when the power that is in the world speaks to you, you are quick to receive convictions. Your heart is not so hardened that you cannot receive convictions. So when the word comes, all the thing that the world will do in each of our lives till we die or till Jesus come, the first thing is it will reveal my depravity. It will expose to me how vile I am. Francis of Assisi says the more he gets close to the world and he reads, the more he realizes how vile and how depraved he was. 
Paul says the same thing. Each time he seeks to do good, there is a mention in him that wants to do evil. What are we talking about here? Do you know that there are times when you are doing a good thing and evil thought is going on in your mind at the same time? Where did that come from? It's part of the total depravity that while we are yet in this body will seek to manifest itself because we live in a sinful world. So when the word comes, the word is constantly trying to remind me and to reveal to me that I am a work in progress. That God still wants to purge some things out of me. So the instrument of the Holy Spirit is always the person who will apply the word. The divine power of the word so that I can see light. So God will reveal through his word to me. First, my own inner wickedness. That's what conviction. When he says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will do what? Convict. He will convict of what? Of sin. When he says the world, did he say he will convict only sinners? Mm -mm. The world. The world. That includes everybody that is in the world. He will convict you. That's the first thing. Jesus said when he comes. So each time you open the word of God, if the spirit comes, he must reveal something to you. He must bring conviction to you. Conviction of sin. Now the problem is, when he brings conviction of sin, many times, have you been in church? In a church service, where they are preaching and the word is very strong and it's powerful, and you say, yeah, I know that's my wife. <laughs> that word is really for, for God. Ah, Lord, please let her hear. You are sitting under a word that is inspired and your heart is closed, but you are seeing conviction for somebody else. They are preaching on pride. You say, ah. God knows it's not me. For that brother, that word. And then you are looking back all the time. I hope the word is getting to him. And yet, you that the word is for, because it's for everybody under that word. Because you only think in terms of outward pride. But you don't realize that even that judgment you are making while the world is going on about somebody else is an inward pride. Mm -hmm. When it's time for prayer, somebody starts praying. And you say, oh, God, you are good. God, you are kind. God, you are faithful. We know what he's going to say next. Father, we bless you. You can't wait for him to finish. In fact, you are saying amen to override his prayer so that he can shut up quickly and know that he doesn't know how to pray. 
because you are not receiving conviction that that area of your life still interests God. And for as long as that is still there, you are not getting profit from the word of God. Hello. So as we read, see in 1 Peter, somebody to read 1 Peter 1.15 for us. 1 Peter 1.15. Yes, sir. But he who called you is holy. You but he who called you is holy. Read on, sir. You also be holy in all your conduct. You also be holy in all your conduct. I like that word conduct. One translation says in all your conversation. Conduct and conversation. Right? He says, be holy. So when the scripture is open to you, the word of God opens to you, and it's inspired, there is power. To get the prophet, it means that it must, like the mirror that it is, show you area of uncleanness in your life. Not in somebody else's life. Are you hearing this? Is the scripture what is it that the scripture has shown me today about myself? So we come to your point about myself that shows that uncleanness or filth. There's a filth that's been re released to me, that's been shown to me. There is a stain of sin that has been shown to me that I need to deal with today. Can't postpone it till tomorrow. If I come to the world and I don't see that, the scripture reading, the scripture studying is not profitable. And how do I know that I have seen it? That becomes the next question. How do you know when you see a word that convicts you? Give me answers. How do you know? But when you hear a word that's convicted, how do you know? It won't leave you. For it, me, it just stays and just reverberates, and almost everything I hear will come back to that. Come back to that. There is a word for written scripture. What is it? Mm, repentance. No. No. You remember, you are close to it. You remember in Acts chapter 2. Mm. After Peter finished preaching, what happened to his hearers? They were caught to the heart. There's another way. Yes, it's Conver that Conversion. They were converted. No, they were not converted. They were. No. They were caught to the heart, right? It's a P word. It says they were pricked in their hearts. The word prick is. Let me say it in Yoruba because my English is not very great. You know when you're pricked by tongues? A sharp object, right? So it's this is the power of the word to punch your heart. 
so that you feel the pain. You're prick. Just like you're saying, it becomes troubling. That's what you mean by, I will see it everywhere I go. It begins to trouble you. It begins to trouble you. You can't get away from it. You left the church, you are driving home, and suddenly you put it on Premier Radio, and suddenly the same scripture that pricked you came out again. <laughs> you say, why? You won't tell anyone, because now this is a war going on within you. It's a private conversation. It's the power that is in the world that is doing a work because it wants you to be profited. You get home, your wife or your husband that you have been quarreling with all day now begins to sing that scripture. Almost as if it's a song of battle or proverb. As we say in my language, right? As a proverb to you. And you know in your hearts there's no rest. Conviction. It just stays there. It won't go away. It begins to prick you. Somebody to read Jeremiah 31, 19. I don't want it. So that you get this issue about pricking. This issue about how the word of God brings conviction. Chapter 31, verse 19. Surely after my turn. Let everybody get there. Let everybody get there. Give him. I don't know why you are wanting to say Let him continue his own prophecies. Jeremiah 31, 19. Is everybody there? Not Please continue. Surely after my turning, I repented. And after I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. Stop there. After I was instructed, look at the action of the prophet. He said when he was instructed, when the word of God instructed, what was the first thing he did? He did this. Mm. I struck myself or I smote myself on the time. Mm -hmm. And after I was instructed, mm -hmm. uh, that was when I struck myself on the time mm -hmm. and I was I was ashamed. I was wait, 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 wait. Mm. So first is talking about the action that is sudden, that physical action of striking himself, waking himself, and then he talks about the emotion that the instruction brought on him. He says, I was ashamed. Has the word ever made you ashamed? So ashamed of yourself before God? I'm not talking of the word you hear and everybody is happy, Jim, Jim, Jim in church. I'm talking of in your own devotion, you read something and you know, ah, I am below the mark. This word so hits me, I am ashamed. Ashamed of myself. Said, after I was instructed, I smoked myself. I was ashamed. What else? And he also said, I was ashamed, yes, even humiliated. Ashamed and humiliated. Do you feel humiliation under the ministry of the word? Mm -hmm. Because I bore about the, re the reproach of my youth. Because I bore the reproach of my youth. 
Are you with me? So until you get that kind of feeling under the instrument of the word and there is such inward affection that affects you so that the power of the word brings real conviction to you. I am convicted. I feel ashamed. God has shown me that there is filthiness all around me in my life. See, this is what reading and studying the word is supposed to do. In the book of Exodus, it talks about the Paschal lamb that was supposed to be killed and eaten. And it says you should eat it with bitter herbs. You remember? Mm. You should eat it with bitter herbs. The Paschal lamb is representative of Jesus, the lamp of God. So when you eat the word, there is supposed to be a bitterness that must come. I think it's the book of Revelation where he talks about the, the apostle was speaking to the angel. Right? He says, give me that book. Go to, I think it's um, 10. Give me that book, Revelation 10. Somebody go to Revelation chapter 10. Right? And the angels gave it to him. He says, take, eat it up. Take, eat it up. He says, and when he ate it, what happened? It was sweet like honey in his mouth, but when he got to the belly, it was what? Bitter. Read it out if you found it. Is it a nine? Yes. Read it so out. I went to the angel mm -hmm. and said to him, Give me the little book. Give me the Bible. Give me the word. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, Take, eat it. Mm -hmm. It will make your stomach bitter. Mm -hmm. But it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Okay. It will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. So the word, when the word comes, see. What I'm saying is this. Oftentimes, we go to the world and we're expecting the world to make us happy. And I'm not saying that there's no time for that. But in most instances, before the world can make you happy, it will make you sad and sorrowful first. That's the power of conviction. If the word is not doing that, then it's not pricking you. Look at the scripture in the Psalms. It talks about joy comes when? Or what is before joy? Sorrow or mourning. Right? He turns my mourning into dancing. Uh, mm -hmm. There is an order in the way the word of God works <coughs> in our lives. So if I'm reading the word and it's not doing anything to me in my heart, in my conscience, and I'm keeping it there, then the word is not bringing any conviction and therefore what I'm reading or studying is not profitable unto me. Somebody to read first Peter 5 6. And then we move on to the second thing. 
this d to five six. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, mm -hmm. that He may exalt you in the in due time. So, we see God's process of how He deals with us. So, number one, the word is profitable when it brings conviction. Number two, the word is profitable when it makes me sorrowful. We saw that with Jeremiah, he smote himself. He said he was ashamed. He felt humiliated. Let's repeat that order again. Okay. Number one, when the word convicts me. Not somebody else, me. Number two, when the word makes me sorrowful over sin. So the first one is, it convicts me of sin. See, each time the word comes, it is sin you will be dealing with. It convicts me of sin. Number two, it makes me sorrowful over sin. It makes me sorrowful. You remember in, um, in, in, in Matthew, it talks about the stony heart. Is it Matthew 13? Right? It's stony heart. He says the stony heart is the heart that is what? That receives... What is the stony heart? Um, it's a heart that receives a void foundation. Mm. It doesn't have much. Oh yeah, okay. Somebody else read it. It, it receives it with joy. Mm -hmm. What doesn't it have? It receives it with joy. We are almost there with foundation, but it's not foundation. It's debt or there's a better word. We are reading now. Yeah, chapter 13, I believe. I got 20 to 21. Quick, 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 quick. We have. Um, okay, so we have 20 more minutes. Matthew, okay. Yeah, just the stony one. Verse twenty. For he who received the seed of stony places is he hears the word of God immediately receives it with joy. Has no root. Has no root. Our doctrine, not foundation. He has no root because the root goes deeper than the foundation. He has no root. So you can receive the word with joy, but if it doesn't get to the root. So when the word comes to make me sorrow over sin, it has to get to the root of sin in my heart that I'm not even aware of. Because there are, listen, there are layers in our hearts of sin and potential sinfulness that you are not even aware you are capable of. Somebody said this. He said, if a man or a woman says, I can never be tempted, you know? I love my wife or I love my husband so much, I can never be tempted. And then he said something that was profound. He said, the devil has a man 
for every woman and a woman for every man. Pray that the devil is not giving permission to bring that person into your life. Why? Because there are layers of sin in each and every one. So when the word comes, it's supposed to do a work inside of you that deals with one, that inward corruption. Number three. Number three. Now one of the things that we have missed in the church today is confession. One part of the church has turned it into a tradition. So you go into the kiosk and you confess to the Father. Yeah? Another part of the church have decided that it is a personal thing whether you choose to confess or not. But actually, the word should always lead you to confession of sin. If the word is to be profitable, it must always lead you to confession of sin in your own life. In the text that we're looking at, it tells us that the word of God is profitable for reproof. So each time the word of God comes, the word must not only instruct me, but it must also reprove me. And if it reproves me, it will reprove me of sin. Are you with me? It will reprove me of sin. It will show me something in my life that I need to confess to God. Now here is the deal. It doesn't mean that God doesn't know that thing is in me. But I don't know it's in me until the word shines the light on it that it is in me. So the word might suddenly shine a light on something in you and say, you know what? It's time to deal with anger. Do you know that inwardly you are an angry person? Everybody see you, they see the calm exterior. They see the way you conduct yourself. But really, anger is raging inside of you. It's just that you hold it in. You control it. You don't let anybody know that you are angry. And so things happen and you are angry, but people don't see it on your face. And we think that it's only the people who see anger on their face that are angry people. But there are a lot of angry people that it doesn't show on their face. There are a lot of people who will kill a man without any emotion. Because there is real anger inside of them. Now until the word so shines on that thing inside of you and bring you to a place of recognition, and then you now say, it's time for me to confess this. It's time for me to own it and now leave it at the altar before God. So when the word comes, it means as an individual, 
you must be honest with yourself. Remember in James, he talks about you go and buy it and you think my tissue is Oh yeah, pick my box up, my friend. Ah, you are just taking it like that and taking it like that. Uh, thank you, thank you. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. So you are just, uh, yeah, go to the Thank you. Don't finish all my tissue. <laughs> right? <laughs> Where was that? As you must be honest with yourself. That is when you may, I think it's in James, he says that you come to the to the world as a mirror mm. and you behold yourself mm. and he says then you straight away forget what manner of man that you are or manner of woman that you are. So when you come to the world, you must acknowledge there has to be an honesty that brings confession. That is, to confess simply means I recognize myself in this thing that God is saying to me. And that's where profiting comes from. I recognize myself. So let's look at John 3.20. Very familiar passage of scripture. And then somebody will look at Proverbs 28.13. Number 3. Almost there, almost there. Quickly, what does that say? For everyone practicing evil hates the light mm -hmm. and does not come to the light, mm -hmm. less deeds should be exposed. Less his deeds should be exposed. So, when the light exposes my deeds, I'm to confess before God. Mm -hmm. So, it must lead to confession of sin. Proverbs 28 13. But he who covers his sin will not what? So when the word what portion? Proverbs 28.13 Are we all there? Yes. So what it means is this. Each time I refuse to confess, confession should actually be a daily activity. Each time I come to the world, if I'm coming to the world daily, anytime I come, there must be a sin to confess when I finish reading the world. There must be a conviction. There must be something that makes me sorrowful about sin. There must be something to confess. Even when I'm reading a scripture on praise, for example, you say, but, ah, well, okay, what about when you're reading what you might call happy scripture? When you read it, it doesn't mean you have attained the state of that happy scripture. If you're reading on praise, it might be that suddenly there is a consciousness that I don't even praise you as I ought to. Oh God, there is a desire in me to even learn to praise you more. I confess my inadequacy in, in being able to praise you. I desire for more grace to move from this level of praise and worship that I'm in, this level of prayer, of intercession that I'm in, to a higher level. Oh God, 
I know I only give 10 minutes or 15 minutes to scripture reading a day. Oh, that you will give me grace. Father, I recognize it's not enough. What am I doing? I'm confessing. I acknowledge that it's not enough. And I'm asking you for grace that I can do more. That I can abound more in your word. Oh God, I recognize I don't fellowship enough. And I want fellowship with you. I recognize that when I finish doing this Bible study and I get into work mode, I forget about you and I don't realize I've forgotten about you. Until something quickens me. But I want to live continually in your presence. Oh, please help me. What am I doing? I'm confessing. Why? Because the word is profitable to bring forth that confession. But when we cover it, we cover it by thinking we are now spiritual. I am now the office they put me into. I am now the title they give me. And when we do that, what are we doing? We are covering like Saul. Saul the king. See, Saul couldn't confess his sin. The king. What did he say to Samuel? He says, honor me now. Before the elders of my people. If only he just confessed there and then, I have seen. When it was David's son, look at the difference. Mm. <coughs> he says, the man must die. They said, thou art the man. He said, ah, oh, I have seen. He acknowledged his sin. And we see his confession in Psalm 51. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this wicked thing in your sight that thou mayest be justified where thou judgest. Do you confess enough? Hello? Right? Let's look at Psalm 32 and we'll move from there. We'll stop at number 4. Psalm 32, verse 3 to 5. Psalm 32, verse 3 to 5. Are we all there? Psalm 32. Leave him, just continue. You are, more, you are the one distracting us, actually. Psalm 32. Yes, Psalm 32. Oh, he's just enjoying himself. Imagine if it's for the whole period and it didn't say a word. Oh, then you'll be worried. <laughs> When I kept silent. When I kept silent, when I refused to confess, mm -hmm. my bones grew old. My bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long. Through my groaning all the day long, yes. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Mm -hmm. My vitality was turned into drought of summer. You see, when you don't confess sin, that's why a lot of Christians are really unhappy Christians, you know. Or on energetic Christians. Unconfessed sins is actually a barrier between you and God. And I'm not, see, please hear me. We are not talking of the big sins so that you are put in categories. Sin is just anything that is displeasing to God. And if he shows you in the world, rather than you trying to say, that's my personality. That's the way I am. 
That's the way I was brought up. That's the way we do it in our family before I met you. Please, just confess. Otherwise, your vitality will be like the drought of summer. It means that, imagine drought in summer. First, there is a lot of heat. The sun is shining very brightly. There is no rain. The air becomes stale. That's the way the life of the individual who covers his sin or who refuse to confess. And when I say sin, please understand, when you come to the word and the word has no effect on you, it's not profiting you, it's not changing you, it's not doing anything, that should trouble you. Read on, sir. I acknowledge my sin to you. What did he do? The minute he realized this is the state I'm in, he confessed. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. And what? And my, and my iniquity mm -hmm. I have not hidden. I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. Autonomy. He said, I will confess my transgressions to the church. I will confess my transgression to the pastor. Or I will confess it to myself. You know there are people who say, okay, I've confessed to myself. <laughs> so other people won't know what they are doing. Now I realize what I've done is wrong. I have confessed to myself. No. He says, you confess to the Lord. Correct? Yes, sir. <laughs> and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Okay. Read on to verse 6 for me. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. In a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near you. You see? You see what confession does? When we confess, then of course, God is merciful. What does John say to us, the, uh, the epistle of um, the apostle John? If we do what? Confess our sins. So when I come to the word, right, and the power in the word is released, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of what? Of all unrighteousness. So it's important we learn to confess. Let's move on to number four. When the word produces a hatred of sin, then I know the word is profitable. You see, many times we come to the word, as I said, we come because we want a deliverance somewhere, we want a healing somewhere, we want God to improve our status somewhere, but we never ever think that the word, first and foremost, wants to make us like God. And if it's going to make us like God, we must hate sin the way God hates sin. So the word is always aiming to bring about in me a hatred for sin. In Psalm 97, he says, Ye that love the Lord, do what? What does it say? Ye that love the Lord, do what? Hate evil. Look at Psalm 97 verse 10. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. You who love 
the Lord hates evil. Mm -hmm. He preserves the soul, the souls of his saints. He preserves the soul of the saint. See, you can't claim you love God and not hate what God hates. Hmm. Should I say that again? Yes, you cannot claim to love God and not hate what God hates. You can't love God and not hate unrighteousness. In fact, the Bible says all unrighteousness is sin. You can't love God and like people who are liars, whose ways are false. How does that work? David says, I hate every false way. David says he will not go in the company of liars. So if you come to the word, the word must constantly profit by increasing in you a hatred for sin. First, hatred for sin in yourself and hatred for sin in others. Are you hearing me? Yes, so that everything is not just about uh, bless me, bless me, bless me club uh, relationship with God. You cannot love him and not hate sin. Now, the, the principle there is this. In First Peter that we read earlier on, it says, be ye holy because I am holy. And it says, be holy in all manner of conduct or in all manner of conversation. Correct? So the principle is holiness. You are a holy nation. So what God wants each time I come to the word is that I'm conscious that I'm walking under the principle of holiness. So there must be something that God wants to show me again about something that I need to hate in sin that is unrighteous, that is unholy. Are you with me? That is unrighteous, that is unholy. So, I put it this way. Is the principle of holiness really planted in your heart? Is the principle of holiness really planted in your heart? Because you see, if the principle of holiness is not planted deeply in your heart, there will be no genuine hatred for sin. That's why sometimes you'll be seeing something or you'll be watching something that is very sinful and it doesn't move you at all because you are comfortable with sinners and with a sinful environment. Are you with me? Right? Now, if that is it, then there can be no real profiting from the word. In Psalm 119, somebody to read Psalm 119, 104, and then the same person to read 128 for me. And then somebody to go to Psalm 50, verse 17 for me, so that we can. Psalm 119, verse 104. Okay. Fire away. Ten minutes, okay, that's why I want to read quickly. Verse 104. So let's start with Psalm 119, 104. 104. Mm -hmm. through, your, through your precepts and get understanding, 
Therefore, I hate every false way. Okay, he says, through your precepts. I, I don't want to dwell too much on that word precept, but that when we come to kingdom, we'll talk about precepts. But the word precept, what does the word precept mean? The word pre means before, sept, which is C-E-P-T-S, means ideas. So before ideas. Okay, now we'll leave it there. So it says, before thy words, before your divine ideas, before your divine thoughts were exposed to me. Is that before you said? The King James says true, isn't it? What's the, is it what version did you read? New King James, it says through, through your precept. Okay, through thy precept. Okay, so what did you say before? No, it said through. Therefore, okay. Therefore, I hate. Everything. I get understanding. Then it says, therefore, I hate, I hate every, every false, way. false way. So it is mm -hmm. the understanding of the word of God that will bring a hatred for false ways. So when the scripture comes and you read it, and it gives you, it cookies to you. I don't like this. I don't like it when you gather with people and you gossip about other people. But now we've turned that into a culture that we don't even realize it's sin anymore. Saints will gather and suddenly the fellowship is not with the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. The fellowship is with unrighteousness called gossip. Tail bearing. Backbiting. And we don't realize that that's a false way. Are you hearing me? We don't realize it's a false way at all. Read um, verse 128. Verse 128 says, Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things, I consider to be right. All your precepts concerning all things, I consider to be right. That means if I want to know what is right about anything in my life, anything, it must come from the precepts. It must come from the word. So when I come to the word of God, I am coming to get what is right. And when I get what is right, I must hate what is wrong. I am coming to get divine principles for living. I am coming to get illumination so that I can move out of darkness in an area of my life. The word of God has to be profitable. Read Psalm 50, 17 for me, sir. Have you finished reading that one? Yes, sir. So, no, you didn't finish reading it because... Oh, um, and it says, I hate every false way. I hate every false way. So when you get what is right, then you must hate what is wrong or what is false. When you get the true, you must hate the false. 50, 17, sir. Say you hate instruction. No, mm -hmm. no. I cast my word behind you. See, mm -hmm. See you hate instruction. So God is talking to the wicked. Right? He says, saying you hate instructions, you cast my words behind you. Can you see the difference between that and Psalm 119, 104, and 128? One says, I hate every false way. God is now making a judgment on somebody else. He says, when you get instructions from my word, when you read about what I say to you, you cast my words behind you. 
You get up, you say, I've done my duty for today. Yes, I read one chapter today. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Father God, you are wonderful. You are merciful, you are glorious, you are excellent. Right? And you go about your business. But what he said to you, you haven't done. It's, it's like the parable that Jesus told. One child comes in, go and do this, he says, I'm not doing it. Another one says, and then he goes back and he changes his mind. The one who says, I'm going to do it, didn't do it. There is no change in the inward parts. No change. Proverbs 8, 13. I think we will stop there. Are we almost done? Two scriptures and we'll stop there. Proverbs 8, 13. And then we'll finish it with Deuteronomy 17, verse 18 to 19. How many more minutes? Five, four. It's three. Is it? Proverbs 8, 13. Quickly. Proverbs 8, 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to eat evil. The fear of the Lord is to eat evil. Deuteronomy 17, 18 and 19. We'll finish that on time. Deuteronomy. Come on, come on. 17, 18, and 19. 17, verse 18 and 19. And we pray. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom. So God is talking to the king here. That he shall write for himself a copy of this law in the a copy of this law in a book mm -hmm. from the one before the priest, mm -hmm. the Levites. Yeah. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, mm -hmm. that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, mm -hmm. and be careful to observe all the words of his law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren. That he may not turn aside from the commandments to the right hand or to the left, mm -hmm. and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Amen. So you see, that's the commandment for us because it's the commandment for kings, right? And we're a kingdom of priesthood. So he says that the book, just like he said to Joshua, must not depart from us. But when we keep the book before us and we allow the power that is in the word to do profitable things in us, then we will see real change. Are you with me? It will keep us in the straight and narrow. It will make us to hate evil. Let's pray. Let me stop there. Because you have to get away in three minutes. Okay. Let's pray. First, I want you very quickly, there is in every one of those key things that the Word of God will do to bring profit, there is something personal for you. I want to watch TV. There is something 